0: before we begin this episode, I want to make a point to actually get a sponsor read at the right time, and I want to say here and now that this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Gooder. Gooder Eyewear. If you haven't checked them out, g o o d r dot com. All kinds of stuff. As I think I have said many times before. I think the most expensive pair is thirty five bucks. They are polarized, they are stylin, and if you if you don't get the stylin, you just don't get it. And it's great stuff. They they just sent us um, some beer goggles. Where are they? I gotta get a pair over here? Hold on, there's a pair across the counter from me. Take a picture, it'll last longer. And I said pitcher because the glasses they got beers on them you guys i know you're thinking wow costume cheesy but they're awesome they're funnier than hell and if you get the joke you're gonna get gooder so thanks to gooder for being a part of the podcast without further ado i'm all alone and i'm recording flying from the seat of my pants in this episode I don't case you in case you, I don't know if you see I'm already fucking up I don't know if you guys know this I usually write copious notes before my podcasts just to make sure I you know I really have it kind of dialed in and I know you're probably thinking to yourself really that's fucking dialed in I thought you've been making this crap up for all these years No I do some practice except for tonight I didn't do a whole lot of pre-writing because I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and if you're a vegan, if you're offended by me saying chicken with my head cut off, it's a figure of speech, deal with it. But things have been just absolutely insane over the last two weeks, and I want to apologize. First, I want to say hi, welcome to another episode of The Pack Filler, I'm Pat Bulger in the studios. All by myself, lonesome. If you're a Green Day fan, you'll understand when I say all by myself. But I am here and it's it's been absolutely a mad capped couple weeks and I knew that I promised that I had to get this episode out today so that's what I'm doing and I'm just, I walked home from a really night, nice uh, work day, really long work day, my brain's a little cooked, walked straight into the basement down here into the studio, opened one of Paul's beers, a Bavarian pills that he left here. And I opened it and I sat down, and I said, "I gotta do that fucking show because I promised to do it, so I'm gonna do it and I'm doing it." And there's a circumstance behind this one you guys. I've been talking about the this this gravel revolution I guess we could talk about, and I'm sure some of you roadies are just rolling your eyes going, "Oh fucking gravel. I can't believe these pros are giving up the pro circuit to enjoy racing full time you know eight weekends a year and Having fun and all that kind of stuff. I can't believe they do that. Why would they do that? Well, you heard from Pete Stetna a couple weeks on the uh, a couple weeks ago on the show, and now it's time to hear from another pro tour rider who is making that switch. Ian Boswell's been on this show before. He's an originally a Bend boy. Uh, Karsten is probably happy that I mentioned Bend and uh, rode for some pretty damn big teams. Rode for Sky. Rode for uh, just most most recently Katusha. Um, did some pretty amazing Grand Tour rides, pretty amazing uh, efforts over there, and had a pretty brutal crash uh, last year in the Delphi Day that definitely would change some perspective from some riders. And Ian went through some pretty tough times, and he came to a decision, and that decision was to be one of the guys to to make that jump to gravel and do that that side of the sport. And so I was really excited to get the opportunity to talk to him, and I'm going to come to you with that very shortly. I do want to preface it by saying that not only am I winging it now, but when I interviewed Ian, I didn't mention this to him, but when I interviewed Ian, Ian, I had the flu. And... I was at the point where you'll hear me laugh a couple times in the podcast out loud, and my laugh will kind of cut short. It's because my head was pounding so badly that I would just laugh, and it would resonate my entire skull, and I was pretty sure... I was dealing with some sort of an aneurysm, I was in such, I, I had the microphone kind of, I was way down here against the console and I was kind of leaning against it and I had my water bottle, in fact my water bottle's still right there, I've got to pull the mic back up, my water bottle's still right there and I probably should just have it burned because it probably has been infected with some sort of, you know, I was probably the first coronavirus victim but I made it through. And I was not feeling great, but it was great chatting with Ian and, and getting his perspective on where he's going now and what he's doing and, and hearing the excitement in his voice about this this jump to gravel. And I gotta tell you guys, it's hard to it's hard to go against. i as I've said many times before, I am a gravel convert. I love it. I enjoy the hell out of it. I still race and ride all surfaces, all types of bikes, but gravel is a lot of fun, and I can see the the incredible burning desire in it, and I can hear the people who are involved in gravel scared to death that their sport is going to change, and popular culture is going to take over, and before you know it, it's going to be like triathlon, and I, I don't, I don't know where it's headed, you guys, but you can't keep it a secret anymore. It's it's a great thing, and um, we're going to have to find a way to make it grow, but hopefully grow within a cool way. And I think Ian has some ideas on that. So without further ado, you guys, Ian Boswell on the Pack for the Podcast. Well, today's guest has recently experienced the range of cycling-based emotions, I guess we could say, from the top of the peloton with strong performances and grand tours, to a pretty darn brutal crash that forced him off the bike completely for a spell there leading to another recent high point again with a career path change that leads to what i'm going to call the gravolution and i just came up with that right now let's welcome back to the show ian boswell ian how are you man
1: I'm doing well. I like
0: the uh, the gravelution. It's a good one. Okay, you you can use it. I'll I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, first off, man, congratulations on the new and I like to call exciting path in cycling um, with an ever increasing group of professionals making that jump over to competing on that full time gravel circuit. Um, so, first of all, as I said, congratulations. Second of all, tell me about that decision to jump over.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there was um, kind of a few. A few life changes that kind of pushed me in that direction, or more so, pushed me kind of open in my eyes to the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and your intro, you know, a crash that I'd had in March, um, you know, kind of took me out of the the pro peloton and took me away from from Europe for the majority of the year and ended my season. Um, and as I kind of began to start riding again, I, you know, living in Vermont, I spend a lot of time riding dirt roads and i started to kind of follow i've been a long time follower of you know and some other athletes and kind of saw this growing market in the u.s and you know kind of felt like the time was right to, to try something new
0: was was gravel something that was kind of in the back of your head you you know you mentioned that it was something you were kind of looking at what's your kind of experience within that realm
1: um, well, yeah, i had actually, you know, prior to my crash in March, I had spoken to my team at the time, which was Katusha Alpeson, about trying to participate in some of the events here in the U.S. Um, you know, at the time, I was with mm-hmm. a part in the UK. I would love to, you know, be a part of these events, and the North America branch of the of Canyon was interested in having me. Uh, um, the team was not so interested in, you know, Belgian Waffle and and Steamboat, um, which was kind of an eye-opener to realize that, you know, this is a huge, growing, you know, kind of community in the U.S., but, you know, international, you know, cycling teams are kind of sometimes slow to adapt and slow to change (laughs) their mentality.
0: Yeah. So the crash itself, Toronto-Adriatico, if I'm I'm not mistaken, um, do you recall that moment itself or what happened or what caused it and what brought you out of it
1: no it's still pretty I mean I I was unconscious so I don't remember what happened (laughs) Um, you know I have like a short flashback memory of like the moment just prior to the crash Um, but the what happened and how it happened and kind of the moments after are kind of been washed from my memory and you know kind of lost to time because no one else around me really knows what happens either or what happened either Um, yeah, it was a, yeah, definitely a scary moment, but at the time I wasn't really, I didn't really kind of fully grasp the full consequences and how that, you know, incident would kind of change the course of my life.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm reading about the crash itself and what you've gone through and throughout your career and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, from what I've seen, this is your sixth concussion and, um, and, we as bike racers tend to always have this mentality. It's, it's the classic meme where you see the soccer player flopping and rolling on the ground in massive amounts of pain. And then in the next frame, you see the cyclist who's completely shredded clothing off and skin falling off and thinking, no, I'm OK. Just get me back on my bike. Um, has there ever been that? Has that been something that has kind of carried you through thinking, no, I've got, I'm a cyclist. I got to tough it out. I got to get back on the bike. And at what point did you think to yourself, wow, maybe I should kind of take care of things and, and reset here?
1: Well, definitely. That was, um, you know, my initial, you know, thought once I crashed, once I was actually, you know, kind of come back into consciousness and, yeah. you know, was being loaded into an ambulance. My initial thought was like, well, where's my bike? I want to get back on. Yeah. <laughs> back on my machines so I can get the machines. Because I you know I'm to start tomorrow. So that's definitely been my mentality. Um, so there's some noise in the background, the tea on the wood stove is, is boiling over. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I, you know, it's definitely a mentality in cycling and it really took me a long, long time to terms with how, you know, in general, but, you know, more specifically racing at the world tour level on the road, just because, you know, oftentimes you aren't in control of the risk that, you know, you're taking. It's, you know, the pace and the speed in which we descend and, you know, go through these little towns in Europe is oftentimes dictated by someone else
0: and wow okay that is that's such a scary element to be think that you're putting all this not only your your health but your career and your life into these hands of these people who is is there something nefarious i mean is there something that like a less care about the writers and more about the spectacle at that end um
1: you know, it's just when you're in that element of, you know, racing at that level, your mind is so focused on one thing. You know, you never think about crashing, you never think about the consequences. You know, I you know, I'm still twenty eight years old, yeah. you know, I never would have envisioned my road racing career, you know, taking a you know, kind of stepping away from that at, at relatively a young age. Um, but things change and that risk is there and everyone knows it, but just oftentimes don't don't think about it and you can't really think about it when you're in that You know, environment because the minute you start to then kind of taking yourself out of the race
0: yeah I can only imagine that you'd have to constantly be on that high end and not thinking about any of the consequences you know I'm sure your your recent marriage doesn't help or you know or it did help I guess we could say depending on which side of the coin you're looking at you know you're thinking I've got I've got more going on I've got more more very important things in my life and maybe this you know those thoughts kind of creep into your head I don't know I can't speak for your terms
1: yeah, definitely, you know, I mean, like I said, I'm not old by any means, Nuh-uh. but um, as you as you do get older, you start to uh, kind of see the fragility of, of your body and, you know, of your health and kind of start to look at long-term health, and, you know, I kind of knew the full consequences of going back into road racing and what that would mean for, for me and kind of the, men- the mental side of that, but the physical side of it as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having been recently married and, you know, getting older, um, it was definitely something to, to consider.
0: So tell me about the uh, the, the companies and the, and the financial backing involvement and the sponsorships. I obviously don't need details. I don't need to know how much you're making a week or anything like that. But uh, how did this all kind of develop? You know, uh, gravel is in such a huge boom. Was it something you just thought, sat down to yourself and said, "Okay, I'm going to contact these companies and see if this can go," or did they contact you?
1: Yeah, you know, you kind know, of um, transition to this was you know the choice I had made to walk away from road. Began, or I guess you know, that was that all happened prior to me actually kind of reaching out to people to see if there was an opportunity to really? race gravel, um, because I kind of was between a, a rock and a hard place, trying to make that choice, and I couldn't really fully you know pursue anything else until i made that choice whether I was going to go back to racing or not, um, you know, so I, I decided to you know turn down a contract offer at the end the, the end of August. Um, and you know, I've had a long running relationship with Wahoo Fitness. Um, so I you know, they sponsor a fondo that I my wife and I organize here in Vermont. Um Peak if you guys if any of you West Coast uh, Washington folks wanna come out for it. But yeah, so I reached out to them and just let let them know when I was you know, that I was walking away from road racing and just kind of by luck of chance, you know, there was some a position that they needed filled within their you know, workplace as far as a kind of a liaison ambassador to the, to the world, tour to teams. Um, you know, so my, my role and kind of my place in gravel is pretty different than all the other writers and the guys I'm I'll be competing with next year. You know, a lot of them have, you know, a collective of sponsors that, you know, kind of foot the bill for them and, you know, the products source of this, you know, kind of new form of <laughs> you, the brands that you I'm from of Wahoo so I have a, a full-time job um, first time in my life I've actually ever been an employee not a self, uh, <laughs> self-employed contractor which has been been really nice and I'm learning a lot um, and it gives me a lot more respect and admiration for you know, everyone who's out there at these events, you know, working a full-time job with families because I'm, you know, very much learning this kind of work-life slash train balance. Wow. I'm so going, it's, been, it's been interesting.
0: What does that job consist of, if you could tell me? You know, you're talking about liaison and and, and speaking with, with world teams and things like that. Are you, are you all over the place or is it just kind of a, I don't know, it's obviously not a desk job of some sort.
1: Um, it is a, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's a desk job because I don't actually have a desk. It's a, you know, <laughs> I'm working remotely from office and part of my work, conference calls and, you know, organization of events and planning. Um, but it's very, you know, Wahoo has been extremely flexible kind of understanding that, you know, I haven't come from a background of, you know, being a, you know, lifelong, you know, office guy. Um being patient with me as they kind of bring me up to speed because it is all new to me. Um, so I'm, you know, regularly, you know, pretty much Monday through Friday, you know, every day I'm, you know, riding as much as I can, but I have, you know, other responsibilities. A lot, you know, a lot of it for the moment is focused around kind of planning some of these events that we're heading to and working with, you know, some race organizers for events that, you know, Wahoo and us or, or myself are, you know, partnering with and sponsoring. Um, and then as I'm kind of getting more acquainted, you know, starting to work with the, with the world tour teams a bit and kind of just facilitating those relationships between the teams, the riders and, and Wahoo, um, you know, which is kind of a perfect role for me because to a large degree, I'm still pretty well connected and friends with a lot of the riders within the world tour. So I have a nice, uh, I found
0: myself in a nice balance. That's nice. And, and Wahoo seems to be just completely jumping in with both feet, especially over the last couple of years, you know, from my experience from the outside, seeing the the investment and the time and the energy they're putting into uh, not only, you know, the, yes, there's the element of the of the trainers and the and the indoor cycling setup, but it's also the, the GPS and everything's dialed in that realm. It just seems like they're just something's going over there that is just like crazy, like a barn fire.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like a lot of brands in the U.S., you know, Wahoo's definitely seen this growing market of of gravel riding in the U.S. and it you know it expands to so many people, which is you know part of the reason why I want to be involved with it as well. Um, you know, I've you know, began to learn that a lot of these events don't they're not marked courses. You know, I've gone from races where, you know, there's policemen on the corners and there's you know a lead car and a follow car, um, but at Dirty Kansas it's self-navigated, so you need a you need a bolt or an element to uh, follow your track, so you know where you're going. Because there's not, you know, signs out on course. So, um, wow. yeah, no, the the Wahoo head units are definitely uh, an essential item for these races.
0: You, you're talking about the changes, obviously, going from a world tour type of a calendar to this gravel calendar is going to cause incredible preparation changes for you in terms of what you need to be ready to do and the intensities and things like that Um, what type of things are you taking into account and how has it altered your preparation
1: Um, you know it's altered my preparation in the fact, for the moment that I'm in northern Vermont in January. So um, <laughs> the volume of which I'm riding is definitely far different than than years past. Getting ready for the road season, being in you know down in the south of France or in Spain. Um, you know the you know fortunate side is that you know my kind of targeted events aren't until later this spring and and summer. So there's there's time to get ready for those. Um, you know the emphasis is really going to have to be on endurance because you know I've never. I've never done an event like Kansas that's, you know, the winning time is around 10 hours. That's, you know, that's crazy. I never went out for 10 hour training rides as a road rider. So I'm going to have to pick some uh, kind of expand my, my horizon as far as loops that I've created around the area, (laughs) but that'll happen. That's something that I'm really looking forward to is like, you know, kind of seeing the physiological changes that will need to take place in order for me to prepare for an event like that.
0: Yeah, because I can only imagine it's going to be something where, yes, it's an endurance base, but also the pounding and the abuse that you're taking and different types of, you know, I don't know, heaven forbid, you know, rough road terrains. You know, I'm sure a Perry roubaix would come to mind, but having something constant like that for as long as you've got to do is going to require, and correct me if I'm wrong, more upper body strength, more, um, you know, ability to do that for such a long period of time even though you're not doing it day after day like you would in a grand tour.
1: Yeah, well I mean I've, you know, thanks I live on a, in a rural setting up here in Vermont. So I'm uh, you know, working on my upper body strength with, you know, carrying wood and splitting wood and working <laughs> on my tractor and stuff. So I'm, you know, increase my upper body strength which ho- which hopefully will help come uh, come those longer races and I think just having that stamina and toughness, you know, will help as well. Um but yeah, I mean, there's so much, so much that's new to me, you know, from tire pressure and you know yeah. fixing a flat and mechanicals. You have to be so much more of a complete cyclist in order to finish these events um, and to compete in these events because there's just you're a lot more, you know, self dependent than you know, have a team mechanic and one of following you.
0: Okay, you mentioned carrying wood. You've got, you've got to piece together some sort of video montage in 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 homage to rocky three or something like that you know where he's out carrying the wood and and running in the snow and things like that yeah exactly
1: i know i I just uh, i know i just my train in a bit
0: yeah i know i just dated myself by referencing rocky three but uh but you know that's the first thing that popped into my head so so what do you say to those who are wondering about the reason for switching to something as huge as the world tour to something that is although exploding in popularity and potential still is in theory smaller in scale such as gravel what do you say to those people who are trying to kind of go get their wrap their heads around it I talked to Pete Stetna a couple of weeks ago about these types of things and and you know what do you say to the question people
1: I mean, I think it's just, it's just an it's an opportunity and a new challenge and something completely different you know I've I, I have Twitter and Instagram and whatnot and I you know scroll and see what people are saying and you know there are some people who are like, you know, oh, why are all these road guys coming to gravel? It's like, hey, we just want to ride our bikes with other people in a new yeah. form, and you know, the quality of life that it allows us to, you know, spend more time at home to ride in a different way. You know, it's just something completely new and challenging, and that's you know part of the reason why I'm into it because the, you know, it's this whole realm of cycling that I've never explored before. You know, oftentimes I've been, you know, staring at my wahoo and you know. Quickly and doing at intervals, and not taking pictures, and yeah. you know, watching my diet, and going to bed early, and now, hey, that's all that stuff's still important. But let's stop and take a picture. Let's have a beer with someone you haven't spoken to before. Um, just a wider connection with community is definitely, you know, something that really attracts me.
0: Are there any road events in your calendar outside of, uh, you know, obviously the fondo you're working with and things like that?
1: There are, are at the moment no, no, no road events. Um, you know, the, I live in, like I said, our house is down a dirt road. So, yeah. Um, you know, having a having a quiver of old bikes is definitely uh, to my <laughs> benefit. do I don't have to leave my house on on skinny tires. But I don't know what'll, you know, kind of what'll transpire throughout the year and like what You know, whether it's a, a Fondo or something, Um schedule.
0: What are the events you're planning for? What are the big ones that you're looking for on the calendar?
1: We're actually together, and since my announcement a couple of weeks ago, quite a few events have reached out and just kind of seen the sheer volume of events you could attend. <laughs> um, it's pretty, pretty incredible. You know, there are events all over the country in you know towns that I've never heard of, um, which is great. You know, because I event in Vermont has on our community and that you know, you're know you bringing in all these people from you know all over the country and even all over the world in some cases to attend these events makes such a big impact on these small communities yeah. um, I'm heading out to Colorado for my first event of the season which will be Old Man Winter Rally on February 9th um, I'm heading out there with the other Wah- Wahoo Frontier Riders um, so Pete, Pete will be out there as well and then I'll be at uh, Mid-South be out at Sea Otter um Belgian Waffle DK Steamboat I'll be at rooted uh, probably Vermont Overland and wow. yeah I'll be yeah uh, kind of at a a mix events you know a bunch of different events here in Vermont as well that are you know just local events on weekends when I'm not not traveling you know out of the state
0: Yeah are there any ones you're most excited for or targeting in specific I know it's kind of, you're, it's still kind of all new but is are there ones where you're like going oh yeah that's my baby
1: um, it is, yeah, you're right. They are still very new. Um, to me, I don't know much about it. I you know, I think that, you know, Kansas is you know, probably one of the, the crown jewels at the moment as far as, you know, kind of notoriety. Yeah. Um, you know, but 200 miles definitely, I won't lie, definitely scares me. That's a long, that's a long time to be on a bike. Um, you know, I think just the pure experience of that event will be kind of up there. Um, you know, also I'm really looking forward to heading out to steamboat, um, cause I've heard that's a great event and, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed riding my bike at altitude. So being up there at, you know, 10,000 feet will be, should be right up my alley if I can uh, prepare for it. And I'll have plenty of time for all the snow to melt up here in Vermont to be ready for
0: it. Yeah. So I don't even mean to keep coming to the naysayers, but some things that keep coming up on my timeline and people keep asking me these questions is the topic of, of the gravel world with its growth. And um, with anything, with popularity, sometimes you get the people who just want it the good old-fashioned way. And, um, you know, gravel getting ruined by all these, you know, the grassroots nature disappearing. Um, what, what do you say about that popularity potentially altering the sport itself and what it was? I keep thinking of, of Norba when it originally started and then what it grew into. And some people didn't like that. And um, do, you, do you see that? Does it approach you or, or do you even care?
1: I'm definitely aware of it um you know And my I mean, kind of what i've found so unique to gravel is that it's so welcoming yeah. and that you know people of all you know walks of cycling and life are, are kind of you know attracted to this um but in no means is my you know entrance to gravel trying to dictate the direction of gravel and i'm not i'm not here to to write the rule book or to you know change what you know, people who've been doing this for a while, you know, think it should be or what it's going to be. Um, you know, I very much want to be a part of this and be a part of a, a positive culture for everyone. And you know, there's still a lot to be figured out with kind of this. You know, let we'll say racing. Um, you know, there's I saw there's controversy last year over AeroBars bars at Kansas. Yeah. And, you know, there aren't any real regulations or rules at the moment, um, and the rules need to come into it. Like I'm not. I'm not always a fan of uh, of rules. Um, just coming from the road, you know, there are so many you know restrictions on what you can do with your bike and equipment. Um, so I'm very open to allowing anyone to a bike in these I think you'd have to get down to you know groups of people kind of standing up and saying, "Hey, listen, this is how let's collectively decide what we're going to." this look like and listening to everyone you know listening to people at the front at the back and you know men's field women's field you know there's still a lot to be figured out you know at the moment women start their race at the same time as men is that do they want that or would they rather have their own start time Um, so you know every year around some of these events there's controversy about you know people you know trying to push the sport in a different direction Um, and I'm very much coming here to be you know a participant and not you know, trying to change the way it's going to
0: be, be run or, or raced. And there's also this talk about USAC becoming involved. And UCI announced a little teaser a couple days ago about a potential gravel world championships. And I can just hear the throngs of people going, "Stay out of it! Don't get involved!" You know, <laughs> and um, yeah. And, and I guess with anything, growth requires you know, as you say, even though we don't, might not want it, a a set of rules or an organization or things like that. Um, do you support those organizations becoming involved? And if so, why, or if so not, why not?
1: You know, I actually spoke to USA cycling a couple of weeks ago, um, about this. Um, you know, they're kind of getting different people's opinions on, you know, what, you know, what are the uh, the pros and cons of them entering, you know, gravel riding, um, and, you know, I think it, it is already to a degree it is established. And, you know, what does gravel need going forward? I, I'm i not, you know, I'm so new to this. I'm probably not the one to, to answer. Um, you know, and I was over in Nice in November riding with some of my, you know, former world tour friends and talking to them about some gravel events. And, you know, their first thing that came to mind was like the equipment and nutrition. Like, oh, you should, you got to run, you know, a skin suit and an arrow helmet and <laughs> TT bars. And I was like, that's not, in my in my perspective, that's not the point of this because whether you win or you finish, you know, in the middle of the pack, you know, if you had a good time out there and you know really enjoyed it, and that's what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, it, it's you know, and there are financial incentives for you know USA Cycling and the UCI to enter you know gravel because it is so popular and it is becoming, like I said, more popular every year. So how do they fit into that kind of network? I don't really know for the moment. Um, but I think there, there is a way, but it's just not, it hasn't become clear yet. And, you know, there are so many events, like I said, on the calendar. Um, you know, I think at some point in time, there will be some type of, you know, whether it's a ranking system or, um, you know, organized, you know, point to a system, but then again, do the people who are participating even really care about that? And, you know, personally, I, I'm not that, uh, (laughs) not that driven by, you know, point system or rank, you know, of gravel racing.
0: I love the approachability of it. You mentioned earlier that, you know, the stop and have a beer, stop and take a picture. Um the fact that you can attend some of these races and in theory I'm lining up with some of the most elite competitors such as yourself in this in this event. Yes, I'm never going to see you after the start line, but I will see you at the finish line have uh, you know a Belgian waffle, having a waffle and a beer afterwards or something like that. And that is what is I, and and I'm sure you have a perspective, being at at the the world tour level and the approachability of the fans as opposed to what it is here and and how they're so different. And that's what I I truly love what what is going on in gravel right now. It has that feel of of everybody's involved, and and you get to approach and walk up to guys like you and shake your hand and talk about you know the day's race.
1: Yeah, it's like in summary, of what you know, we've just been talking. About. Like I would say that's what that's what's kind of lured me. It's just the the opportunity to ride my bike with new people in a new way and, you know, really spend that time, you know, pre and post event with, with more people and, you know, just chatting. And because I am so new to this, you know, there are, there are people who have ridden Kansas every single year who are far more experienced than me. Maybe they're not, you know, committing the, the training and the, you know, the intensity that I will be, um, but, you know, they, I have a lot to learn from those people. And for me, that's very exciting to, you know, to kind of be a, a newbie at this game.
0: Yeah. And and a really interesting thing about this, and I kind of fell into this being an, an old guy, I kind of fell into it more through involvement with my son, who's in his 20s and things like that, and the social media element and... Um, YouTube type of element that is involved with this type of sport. My son got so passionate into it from watching a lot of the coverage of these events, such as with, with Lockheed Morton and, and things like that. And watching that, is that going to be a specific part of your uh, task or job? Are you going to have to be reporting these types of things? And uh, is it a big part of the ra- the racing scene?
1: It definitely is. you know. And I think because for the moment, these events aren't covered, you know, on live TV. It's not the Tour de France or something where there's helicopters and lead motos and, you know, a thousand different cameras out on course. You know, these stories are often told, you know, kind of post-event. You know, there's a lead up to it as well. Um, You know, as you probably saw the Wahoo Frontiers campaign that I'm a part of, you know, we launched our first video a couple weeks ago and that'll be an ongoing series throughout the year. And, you know, while I'm sharing my story, um, we're also going to dive into to other Wahoo athletes and their story and kind of their experience with, with gravel and kind of how how they got involved and why they're involved and, you know, kind of how their season unfolds as well. And I think that's one of the, you know, really cool things about this is, you know, it's it's been born out of storytelling. Um, and there are so many stories within, you know, pro road racing that just are never told or never shared because the emphasis on performance is so high. And, you know, I just hope that, you know, kind of these these stories that evolved from gravel continue to you know continue to can continue to be shared
0: yeah it's killing me i was just reading about just this last weekend about some magical downhill that jeff kabush was able to do to catch stetna and I, I was i immediately went online thinking there was going to be a video coverage of it but then i realized oh this yeah we're still at gravel and it's you know they're complete remote locations yeah. they're not going to have helicopters yeah. covering the event and so i'm like damn i can't yeah. see it i just got to imagine it kind of like the old days when i used to yeah. have to wait for magazines exactly. to show up um
1: yeah well how, how legends are is these uh stories that just you have glimpses of it or you read something after and you know it's never it's never caught on camera but you know it happened somehow and yeah that's so cool that you know jeff kabush can be racing against someone like Stetina. you know they come from two completely different walks oh, yeah of, of cycling competing in the same event and that's what's that's what's so awesome.
0: And, and Kabush is is quoting his inner John Tomac and I mean those types of things it's like oh my god I love it because that's not a soundbite you're going to get from a, a post race interview with with some you know pro on journalist in and I just love hearing that more relaxed style of nature and individual nature I guess to it.
1: Yeah and I think you know for myself and I'm sure Pete would attest to this as well is you know to a degree our our guard has been you know put down a bit as far as like you know, the media and what you can say and what you can't say, you know, we're, you know, very free to, to kind of speak drama, which you know, isn't always the case in a you know professional road team.
0: Yeah. Personality comes into it. And you've also got a fairly familiar nature with this style, um, your own podcast that you've been putting together. And is that what, tell me about the future of that.
1: Yeah. So my, uh, friend Marshall Opal and I started the breakfast of Bob's podcast at the 2018 <laughs> tour de France. Um, it's been on hiatus since then. We tried to bring it back to the tour last year, but with my injury and recovery, um, I obviously wasn't racing and you know, it wasn't feasible to, to go back to Europe and kind of cover the tour. Um, but starting in mid February, the breakfast of Bob's is going to be back. It'll be held on, uh, WahooFitness.com wahoo forward slash frontiers. Okay. And yeah, it's going to be going to be my podcast. Um, you know, covering, you know, the people I come across and the, the events that I'm at. And it'll be, uh, it'll dive into, you know, gravel, but there'll still be some kind of touching, the touching my recent past with, you know, speaking to some professional road racers as well, and maybe even diving into, you know, some triathlon and ultra running as well.
0: Right on, right on. Okay. We got through the hard part. Now the really serious questions, this is, I'm being, I'm, being sarcastic here, by the way. So I've got I've got a few questions that could potentially cause uh, uh, you know some sort of a military action. You and and the answers are going to be very important upon how you answer these. You ready? I'm ready. First one: Do arrow bars belong in gravel?
1: I've never. Well, I hate time <laughs> trail bikes in general. So if they were if they were not allowed, I would I would be happy. Um, you know, and having spoken to some other riders, you know, people mentioned that it's less of a performance benefit than it is, you know, just another position to ride after ten hours on the bike. Yeah. Um, but if I didn't see arrow bars at Kansas, I would be happy.
0: I believe Pete called them armrests or something like yeah, that. But yeah, but it's.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I I understand, you know, having another position um, you know, to to rest your hands, but you know, I was always a fan of I thought that road racing should just go back to road bike, <laughs> you know, yeah. road bikes only only time trials. So, um, yeah, I'm probably not the person to ask that question. Well, no, me. yeah.
0: I was I was thinking maybe I should have kept my old Spinacis from the 90s and brought those back yeah. out, but uh um, question number 2 is beer a critical part of gravel culture and if so, what are your favorites?
1: Uh, I think it's definitely it's definitely beer's definitely part of the culture and I think it's you know it's almost a uh, you know a symbol of socializing and of people you know sharing something together and that's you know if you want to catch up with an old pal you don't you know you call them and say hey let's go grab a beer together and yeah. I think that's kind of the culture that gravel has um uh, my favorite beers oh we have a lot of good <laughs> beers here in Vermont um, it's hard to it's hard to pick out one i you know'm big fan of like double i p a s but okay. as i've you know drank quite a few of those um over over the winter i'm kind of you know i i can drink anything really <laughs> okay um, i'm not too picky about it all
0: right um how much time do you spend talking and or worry about pressure tire pressure
1: tire oh this is <laughs> none <laughs> i don't know anything about tire pressure neither uh, do i yeah, I, I still ride tubes in all my bikes. So I, need to, I need to kind of get updated on, <laughs> on running tubeless. I still, you know, whatever the tire says is the maximum pressure. That's usually what I put into it.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad to know I'm not the only one. I think there was a while with my gravel bike when I first got it, I rode with the pressure that, that I got it from the shop in. And, you know, those guys were like, dude, we made it tubeless. We put high pressure in them on purpose. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I'm an idiot. So you're yeah. you're, well, you're not I, obsessed over it.
1: Something I to learn. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, uh, next next stupid but not serious question is gravel the savior of US cycling.
1: I would say yes.
0: You would. In yeah,
1: t- I mean it's you know and also just the ability for these events to allow so many younger cyclists to get involved in cycling in a in a much more like communal sense, you know, like a father and son or mother and daughter, yeah. you know. Daughter daughter father like hey let's go there's this local event in town let's go do it there's a you know 25 mile loop and before you know it that you know young child is hooked on cycling through gravel riding because it's much less intimidating than you know going to your first road race with you know kids on you know carbon wheels and you know their dad's giving them pep talks and you know where the equipment is such a big emphasis and there's pressure and people oiling up their legs Um, (laughs) it's a great way for young athletes to get involved in cycling
0: all right, last one, and this this has come up in the topic of the show with the usual guys who are on the sh- on the podcast who aren't in the studio right now. Thank God, um, but there has been the discussion of the one bike to rule them all. Um, do you think a gravel bike could be used in all formats of cycling?
1: Um,
0: I know that not in a perfect you world, know, you know, you know, it's not going to. Yeah, how, I r- mean,
1: potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know, I think that's one of the you know, I don't know as much about equipment as, you know, other, other gravel riders and mountain bikers. Um, but I think, you know, you, you can go most places on a gravel bike, you know, yeah. you could do it, maybe clearing, well, I'm sure there's someone who could clear some gaps in a you know, enduro course on a, on a gravel bike. It's yeah. not going to be me. <laughs> um, you know, I think one thing that I observed in our Fondo, you know, it's on dirt roads is that there were people on all sorts of bikes. You know, We had people on road bikes and mountain bikes and fat bikes, gravel bikes, on old town bikes. Um, yes, yeah, so really, whatever bike you have is a is bike that's best for gravel.
0: Well, I'm just looking at mine here hanging on the wall. And the ability to switch from wheel size to wheel size and tire size, and it is pretty close in geometry to what I'm riding on a road, you know, is, is that is it close enough or, you know, I guess in a perfect world, yeah, we need a full stable of bikes. But for all these people who are trying to just find one to be able to go and do a, a fun Fondo and then switch over to a gravel and things like that. And I think we're getting to the point where that could be the steed to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, you know, I get a specialized room, and you know, I'm like, Oh cool. This is a sweet road bike. And there's the, you know, suspension in the steer too. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. And then I started looking at it I'm like, Oh, because it has disc brakes on I can put like a thirty three C knobby tire in here. <laughs> and this is a bike that people are racing in the Tour de France. And I can also take it and ride it at Belgian waffle ride. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a huge spectrum of, you know, terrain to ride a single bike on. And it's, you know, gonna be the best bike in the, both the Tour de France and at Belgian waffle, which is crazy to think about.
0: That's it. One bike to rule them all. We just heard it from you. Yes. so man just so just to recap where are the places people can uh, not necessarily stalk you but follow you and see how all your your exploits are going
1: yeah so i'm on i'm on instagram i think it's ian underscore boswell um i'm on twitter at at the boz 91 um and then all the all the videos and podcasts will be held on wahoo com forward slash frontiers um so we'll have videos coming out this year and hopefully a very regular podcast coming into board
0: well, right on man uh first of all i'm so glad all the recoveries from the injury as is is kind of coming to an end I, at least from what i understand uh, i'm glad that wasn't a a career-ending crash uh thank god for that and um Second of all, I I can't wait to follow what's going on. I am, I am probably the biggest gravel fan on this on this podcast, and I love seeing <laughs> the growth there, and love seeing where everything's happening, and it just seems really exciting.
1: Well, maybe I'll have to uh, try the favor and get you on my podcast once we're up and running.
0: <laughs> Anytime, and I'm not blushing right now.
1: <laughs> right,
0: appreciate it. Hey, thanks, man. All right, thank you. And so there you are, another one of the gravel. Armada. (laughs) I just made that one up, and that one (laughs) sounded really stupid, but I don't edit, so I'm going to just keep it in there. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm going to get to some of these events this year. I want to see this stuff. I want to experience this end of the culture. I've been at it uh, in the gravel world on a smaller scale. I haven't been to some of these large events like the Belgian Waffle Ride, of course, like Kanza and stuff like that. Um, But I I really want to get to some of these things because they just sound... They sound great. I've been to Leadville, and I think that's kind of similar, even though it's technically all, you know, mountain bike. But um, I think the culture style is going to be similar. Correct me if I'm wrong out there. That is another episode of the Pack Filler. We've got, obviously, the group's going to be back in the studio here next week. This has been a crazy week for me and my other chosen career profession. And hopefully uh, next week we'll be able to get all the guys back in the studio and have some fun and act like a bunch of idiots and drink beer and definitely talk about things that are going on. Cyclocross Nationals, no, Nationals, Cyclocross Worlds just wrapped up. Spoiler alert, duh, right? Jesus, Matty Vanderpool from the gun, just deciding that he was just going to ride away from the best in the world. Um, we're going to talk about that. I'm sure that will come across the topic board among with a lot of other things. Until next time, subscribe to the podcast, follow our YouTube channel, uh, comment, send us notes, send us ideas, all those types of stuff. We love hearing from you guys. Tell a friend about the podcast. And since we've been doing these weekly shows, the numbers have been steadily climbing. And I got to thank you very much for all that sort of stuff. We're going to keep bringing content to you and keep exploring new ideas, new pathways. Until next week, I'm Pat Bolger for the Pack Filler.